This is Our House by Art, Humanity, and Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. I started to think I needed to get involved in a way that I hadn't before. It ain't over. We have a lot, a lot of fighting to do. I knew I had to be involved. I wanted to help. People call it a duty, like you have a duty to do certain things. You know, it started dawning on me that I have to do something. Hey, this is Nicole Ferraro, host of Our House. Since we last left you, the 2018 midterm elections happened, and as you know by now, the Democrats took back the House of Representatives. And in general, we scored a lot of big wins on a lot of big issues that we talked about on our first season of Our House, from electing candidates who support gun control laws, to getting more women and women of color into office and beyond. All of this took an extraordinary amount of volunteer effort, so thank you to everyone who got involved. One of the groups that was super instrumental in helping to flip the house is Swing Left. And back in July in New York City, we hosted our event, Our House Live, which was a fundraiser for Swing Left, where we heard a bunch of personal stories from people's lives about taking power back, including this one from Swing Left's political director, Adrian Lieber, who helped us kick off the show with an inspiring story about her personal experience going door-to-door canvassing. Please put your hands together for Swing Left's political director, Adrian Lieber. Thank you so much, Nicole, and and thank you all for being here and for supporting Swing Left. So how many of you have ever heard of a place called Pahrump, Nevada? Very few. Okay, so you're not alone. I also had not heard of Pahrump when I got in my car in 2008 and drove to Pahrump, Nevada to go work for the Barack Obama campaign. I got in the, I actually am from California. I, I grew up in LA and was getting in my car having probably never talked to a Republican before in my life. I think I thought they had horns. Um, and, and I was going out because I thought, I also speak Spanish, so I thought, oh, perfect, I'm gonna go to Las Vegas, I'm gonna work in the unions, I'm gonna go mobilize union voters to get out to the polls. It's gonna be great. And I got out there and my campaign manager at the time said, great, you're gonna go to a place called Pahrump. And I'd never heard of Pahrump before. It's about 45 minutes outside of Vegas. And it is a town that (laughs) is known for um, the HBO show The Bunny Ranch, a lot of brothels. (laughs) And it's also known for a severe lack of gun laws. And what else? Um, Two stoplights. So anyway, I got to Pahrump, and I ended up spending, that was the bottom of my, what we call our field turf. And I drove, spent months, about nine months on the campaign during the primaries, driving between Pahrump all the way up to above Reno, where I had the entire rural swath of the state. And we had to convince voters to go out and vote for uh, the first black president. (laughs) It was a challenge. um, But as I drove around the state and talked to voters, I had incredible experiences and remember very vividly this one place in the middle of my area that's smack dab in the middle of of Nevada. And it's called Goldfield. And it's this tiny old gold mining town that is a ghost town at this point. It used to have 30,000 people in its boom year, and now has 300. And so I said, as I'm driving from Brump to Reno, I am going to make it my goal to talk to every single one of these 300 voters in this town, because I'm passing them on the highway every time I drive past them. 
So I did. And over the course of the nine months on that campaign, I talked to every single voter in that town, literally. <laughs> and when the primaries rolled around, we won that county for Barack Obama. It was... I won't take sole credit because he was a pretty great candidate. <laughs> but I did a lot of work. And, and it was meaningful. It was this moment where I recognized that we have power to change our history, power to change our narrative, that when Democrats show up, we win, and that if we actually show up, we can elect the first black president in a rural town in the middle of the desert that is known for guns and mining and being very, very white. And we did that. And um, and I was motivated, and I knew that I was going to spend my career doing this. So uh, fast forward 10 years later, I was in, almost 10 years later, I was in Ohio for the presidential election last cycle. And I was knocking on doors on election night, and it was starting to rain, and it was getting really dark, and I was ready to go home, and I thought, it's time to end this, but we had about half an hour before the polls were about to close. And I thought about that town, Goldfield, Nevada, and what I had done there, and I said, I think I can do one more. So I knocked on this last door, and surprisingly, because at that point in Ohio, everybody knows you're coming, and they stop answering the door. <laughs> but surprisingly, someone did. She answered the door, and she was wearing these bunny slippers and an NRA t-shirt, and I thought, <laughs> this is such a bad way to end my night. <laughs> and I started having a conversation with her. I told her why I was there on her doorstep, that this election mattered, and that in the rain or shine or snow, I was going to be out there to make sure that voters got out to the polls and made their voices heard. And after she told me that Hillary was going to take her guns away, and I told her that was not true, and we had some conversation about health care and other issues that mattered to her, within about 15 minutes, she put on her shoes and we walked to the polls. And that will stay with me forever because it was five minutes before the polls were closing. And I thought to myself, after that election, what if we had knocked 10 more doors? What if we had knocked 1,000? And I knew that that's how we make a difference. I came back to New York, and I was tired. And like many of you, I'm sure, wanted to hide under my covers and never do anything political again. And, but I knew that if we were going to make a difference in this election cycle in our world, in our culture, in our society, that we could not wait until 2020 because things were getting bad. And I also knew that I wasn't ready to go back out to Ohio <laughs> to work on a campaign. So I looked around and I asked myself what I could do. And luckily, Swing Left was just forming. It was an organization that at its heart was designed to help people like me solve a geography problem. Because I am the example of everything that we suffer from. The left is geographically split into progressive, urban, safe areas. And especially in midterm elections, that causes a huge problem because we have all this angst, anxiety, and energy, and we want to put it into action, and we don't know where to go. Swing Left is making sure that we channel all of this energy, the people here in this room tonight, all of you, all of the people in Manhattan who are anxious and ready to get to work, people in LA, in Chicago, in rural blue, in urban blue areas all over the country, and non-urban, but blue strongholds, we're making sure that we have a way to funnel that energy into competitive races near us. We are mobilizing volunteers. We're training people. We just had a live Swing Left Academy live training last weekend, I believe, or weekend before, where virtually we had a three-hour training, had 50 house parties across the country, and trained over 1,000 people on how to door knock, 
how to get out, how to make phone calls, how to be organizers, and make sure they get involved in their local districts. We are taking all of those volunteers, once they are trained and ready, and putting them out in the doors by connecting them to congressional races near them, and working with the candidates to make sure we do that. We need every single person out there to make a difference. And, and if you think that I am exaggerating, and you think that this is in the bag, I implore you to think back on November, <laughs> because I thought that too. And we cannot sit on the sidelines and think that this is, we cannot get complacent and think this is easy, because it is not going to happen if we do not push people out to the polls. So that is it for us. Go to swinglaft.org. Thank you so much for being here and for supporting us. Thank you, Adrian, again for coming to the show and for sharing your beautiful story with us and, of course, for all the work you do with Swing Left. Swing Left has done amazing work to get Democratic candidates elected to the House of Representatives, and their work did not end on November 6, 2018. They are, of course, moving ahead and working on the 2020 elections, including Senate seats and state seats. So please do go to swingleft.org to support their work and get involved. Our next guest at our show was Mark Pagan, who is an award-winning storyteller and the producer of the wonderful podcast, Other Men Need Help. He took the stage to tell us a story about his mom, who took her first political action ever shortly after the 2016 election. Right after the election, I don't know which holiday it was, but I, I went home for the holidays, which is Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, there's some folks here, yeah, just outside of D.C. But I went there, and my mom said, my mom announced to us, I'm going to the Women's March. And we were like, holy shit, okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to make a radio story out of this. <laughs> now, I, I want to give you all some context here. We were really shocked by this for a few reasons. Number one, my mom's a baby boomer. She was in the era where, you know, you'd go out and protest. She'd never been to a protest, never been to a march or rally. She could barely, she, the wo woman can't even sing a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> Wouldn't be able to. And she's a lifelong Republican. Loved Nixon, put Reagan in office twice. But there was one thing that was really shocking to me about all this, and my mom and I never really met eye to eye on a number of things politically, but we do match in one area, and that is we are extremely claustrophobic. <laughs> we run from crowds, things like that. And so I was like, I really got to document this. So with the, <laughs> with the okay of Nicole, I'm going to play you guys some excerpts from this radio story I did. And one of the big things that I asked her about was, was this element, this claustrophobia. I think you and I are probably similar in this way. I don't like crowds. I don't like crowds either. I would rather do anything than to be in a crowd. So this is really stepping very far out of my comfort zone. So I wondered I, about all of this, right? All of these bullet points that I gave you. How did this woman, who's a lifelong Republican, never protested anything in her life, how to, what activated her to come and do this, go to this march in which she'd be very uncomfortable? And the response that she gave, I actually realized was pretty much the philosophy in the house. I think a lot of men are afraid of women. I think that they find women mysterious because they can have babies. This is going back to prehistoric times. <laughs> men want women more than women want men. 
and that's the whole issue of power. And I think that's what it really comes down to. So I, I started to convince myself that my mom was Che Guevara at this <laughs> point. I was like, yo, d was this totally under the surface for a long time? Is she a closet activist? And so I asked her, I was like, well, here's the deal. If you're going to be going up there and, you know, who knows what's going to come from this, are you going to be the leader at some point? What would happen if you become the leader and all leaders have to give some kind of rallying cry? I'm going to take the Aretha Franklin route. Respect. Would you sing it? I'll give it a try. It sounds awful. <laughs> R-E-S-E-P-C-T. Respect. <laughs> I think you need to work on it. Just... Just a little bit. Maybe you want to download it tonight and just listen to it a few times. We could do it on the bus ride over there. I'll be working on that. She, she did not download it to listen to it. But we, I'm sure a number of you here in the room went to the march. You know, we woke up at whatever time, 5 a.m. We, yeah, damn right. So it was a few generations of women. My sister, I had two nieces, and I was the only guy. And, and, and my mom, we all loaded up in this van at Kentlands in Germantown, Maryland, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, headed down to D.C. And we got there. We were there for an hour, hour and a half. And I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. I kept the microphone running. And we get to the National Mall, and as some of you who were there know, it fills up, <laughs> filled up. And so within moments, we were surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. And my mom and I made the claustrophobic eye, eye line, and we're like, fuck this. And so we, <laughs> we just made a beeline to get out of the National Mall and get into sort of like a quote-unquote quieter area. I don't know. I can't remember exactly where, near the mall. And I got really disappointed because I thought, like, well, this is it. This is all that I saw. This is all that I saw of this activism of my mom. And so I kept recording, and I was like, maybe something will come out of this. And I started to notice this pattern that was happening with my mom. And she was paying a lot of attention to the signs that people had brought. Let's see what that sign says. What does that say? Welcome to the swamp. Thou shalt not mess with a woman's reproductive rights. Making Happy Russia great again. Yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. I know. My Starbucks card says Trump's a douche. And so I saw that sometimes activism, and especially with my mother, and protest takes the form of being an LOLer. And so for the rest of the day, my mom laughed her ass off at everything you guys had made. <laughs> that last one was if men could get abortions, they're, wait, no, hold on. You, I think this one is pretty good, but I, I didn't understand. Wait, say it again. There it is. If men could get pregnant, you'd abortion at ATM. That was like the peak laugh from my mom the whole day. So we, we had this whole thing, and I, I, I was really, I was very moved by that, the fact that her participation and her connection with all of these people, specifically a lot of women, was <laughs> not so much laughter, but the joy of seeing this protest. 
And my mom is a, she's kind of a tight-lipped woman. She keeps her emotions very close. And so I was really hoping I'd see something from her, some sort of like visual form besides that. And I kept asking her things. And the day wore on, and we had a good time, saw and had hoped that it affected her. And we were leaving, I asked her one more time, and this little bit meant the world to me. How you feeling? A little overwhelmed. And uh, emotionally? Yes, emotionally and, uh, yes, emotionally. I got it. Respect. R-E-S-P-C-T. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you to Mark for that awesome story and to all of the Our House storytellers from this summer for being there to help us raise money for Swing Left. And thanks to you for listening to this bonus episode of Our House. Art Humanity in Action is getting ready for our next live storytelling event on the first Friday in January, Friday, January 4th, 2019, back at Caveat in New York City. The show is called We're Back, in celebration of our wins in Congress and across the country, and to get ready to take it all back in 2020. Come out to hear personal stories from award-winning performers about making comebacks. Your ticket money is all going to Indivisible, which is a grassroots movement of more than a million regular people taking regular actions to resist the GOP and fight for progressive policies and candidates. We'll also hear from speakers from Indivisible about their phase two strategies and ways for you to get involved. This podcast comes from Art, Humanity, and Action. Thank you, as always, to Jeff Rose for editing and producing. We'll be back with more episodes of Our House soon. In the meantime, keep up with us and get show tickets to Art, Humanity, and Action. We're back at arthumanityaction.com. And if you have an activist story you'd like to tell, feel free to write us at hello at arthumanityaction.com. <laughs>